You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, on this fine Wednesday afternoon, October 11th, your bi-weekly dose of the truth. No half-truths, no lies, no distractions, no clutter. The unvarnished truth, even if it's often painful, as some of you well know, we are more than happy to deliver it because the first step to salvation is recognizing the truth, recognizing the severity of, of the problem, and recognizing that everything going on in Washington is one big WWE fake fight. The two parties are even closer together than you think. When I say you, I mean you guys. This, the smartest audience, clearly, in politics, um, you guys already know that there's not a dime's worth of difference between the parties, but now I'm going to tell you that there is not a penny's worth of difference. When you actually look at what's going on in Congress, what's going on in this administration that matters, not Trump's rhetoric or his right-wing sounding stuff on Twitter, you know, what actually matters Not only are the Democrats driving the narrative, as we pointed out last week, you know, Democrats say jump, Republicans say how high. Not only are they a phony opposition, but really Republicans actually help lead and score points, bring the ball into the end zone for the other side where the other side would not succeed. On the fundamental issues of our time, the most important issues that will affect the future of this country, Republicans, the phony right, is actually using the resources and notoriety of the right in this country to score points that the other side couldn't score on their own. I I, I don't know. You know, it's not very nice, but I'm going to say it anyway. Think about this. The longest-serving speaker, Republican Speaker of the House was nothing but a gay pedophile. And now we learned that during that same period, during the Bush years, the Senate Majority Leader on the other side of the Capitol, Bill Frist from Tennessee, is a lover of Obamacare. You know, just came out today, this week, I mean, and said, hey, I love most of Obamacare. Folks, this is the opposition party. This is the alternative. This is the counterculture. The people that are leading the fight are, they're not a weak opposition. They're not even a phony opposition. They are the problem. And one of the big themes of 1984, everyone focuses on Big Brother is watching you, but the other big theme there was that the opposition turned out to be a false flag in the end. Now, I'm not saying there's any conspiracy here. Here, it's not like they're being paid by the Democrats or their operatives for the Democrats. They're just so vapid, dumb, and morally uh, uh, d- devoid of any any principle that they just do it on their own. Republicans just, this is naturally where they gravitate. They see where the culture is, and they do the same thing. It's just they want to be in power, mainly because they're not talented enough to get elected as Democrats in Democrat primaries. So that's why you have a different party to pursue the same things. 
I just wanted you guys to think that. So when you see people like Cornyn and McConnell and Ryan and all these guys, just understand we're now finding out, I mean, when I say now, I mean recent years, that the last major period of Republican dominance, when they had you know, Bush and then Republican control of the House and Senate, you had Dennis Hastert, a gay pedophile, and Bill Frist, who is a liberal on all issues, but now says he loves Obamacare. I mean, this, this is what we have in this country, and yet we're fighting over this and that, and there's nothing to fight over. You know, it's funny, last uh, podcast, this, this was episode 155, today is 156, earlier this week we pointed out that Republicans never use the opportunities that are presented to them, data points, n- narratives in the news, news stories. You know, every day I can't keep up with it, the rapings and murders for, at the hands of illegal aliens, the rising crime, to use that as a public policy angle that we're going to push tougher on crime laws. We're going to push sovereignty, security. We're going to push our law and order agenda. No, instead they allow the Democrats to use airball narratives to promote their left-wing agenda on gun control, and Republicans agree to it. Well, guess what? Paul Ryan just came out today and says, oh, we're going to get rid of bump stocks. Ha, ha, ha. And no one's even talking about that anymore since we we, uh, put out the podcast earlier this week. It's a dead issue. And yet Republicans are rejuvenating it for them. The leader the, the, the top leadership Republicans. And it's funny, speaking of criminal justice, remember I hinted to that earlier this week. Guess what? Jailbreak is back. Folks, it is back. Could you believe that? You, you know, it's, it's hard because I'm kind of a generalist. You know, I have my five, six issues or so, but I really focus on everything and I need to dump some stuff, dump some memory for my... my uh, <laughs> my computer chips here you know just to focus on what what i need to do on a given day and i was hoping that at least under the trump presidency we can get rid of this jailbreak i don't have to worry about it that was a big issue for those of you that were with us um from early on the last two years of the obama administration you had unfortunately mike lee and chuck grassley working with durbin and cory booker and all these punks and unfortunately Rand paul is thrown in there criminal justice reform which basically, in short, means jailbreak, um, undoing the Reagan-era tough-on-crime laws that led to one of the few, perhaps only positive trends in the culture, the miraculous, precipitous decline in crime for 23 years. And now, guess what? Over the last 10 years, states have been letting the jails loose. We're not at peak incarceration. We're actually down. And incidentally, crime is going up. So what do they propose? Jailbreak. So... Again, it's not just that they're not addressing the issues that are important to us. Oh, they're addressing them all right. They're addressing them from the wrong end. They're scoring points for the Democrats when they that they could never score on their own. And again, ironically, this was one issue Trump sounds very good on, and I think he is. He's a law and order guy. Here's the problem. He's such a freaking disaster that his own son-in-law is promoting this. Jared Kushner met with these senators a week ago at dinner at his house or something, um, working with all sorts of punks to promote this. And by the way, this is the crown jewel issue along with amnesty. A lot of very similar, similar, a lot of similarities to amnesty, by the way, in terms of the politics behind it, the coalition promoting it, the straw man false arguments like, oh, you're going to deport the uh, valedictorians who served in the military with distinction. You know, like everyone's a valedictorian. Same thing here. Oh, the people serving 50 years in prison that did nothing but smoke marijuana and it, 
you know, you know, from my writings, I have my article I'll link to in show notes. The data disproves that nobody is sitting in federal prison, not even state prison, but certainly federal prison um, for that. They're big time drug dealers that often were involved with armed robbery. And in addition, the bill that unfortunately Mike Lee signed on to Lee Durbin and Grassley, um, it has a whole juvenile thing juvenile section one leniency after another expunging their record allowing murderers to get out after 20 years if they committed murder when they're 20 by the way when when you are um when you are convicted as a juvenile of life in prison without parole for murder dude you're a bad dude because it's pretty hard to nail that conviction and nobody is speaking about the victims of course it's all about them and guess what a good chunk of them on a federal level are illegal aliens. That's why they're in federal prison, because for the most part, these things aren't federal crimes. So a lot of it's an immigration angle. So you're going to have MS-13 people let out pursuant to Section 208, um, as well as the whole Title II of this you know, sentencing you know, reform act. Uh, so that's what they're pushing now. That's what they're pushing now, complete myth. It's built on a myth, but the Koch brothers, the... Social justice libertarians are all bought into it. And George Soros, you know, the WikiLeaks cables uh, have a lot of good information on this. They uh, caught a lot of documents with Soros making this a big priority. Because, again, much like Amnesty, this is all about signing up Democrat votes. But yet we have Republicans, and I'm sad to say even Mike Lee. Don't ask me why. Some of it has to do with his Mormon faith. I know the Mormon church is very into it. Um, It just he genuinely buys into with religious fervence that the second chance business, which, you know, used to be universally regarded as left wing and conservatives. When I was growing up, what it meant to be a conservative was law and order. Um, growing up at the you know, beginning of the nineties is when this was starting and it worked you know, phenomenally. And, and yet the one positive social trend, this is what they're working on. They've done nothing. This is what they're working on jailbreak. So, mm, you know, it's funny. You look at what's happening here. And by the way, the House is getting out of town today. So they're going to be on a 10-day vacation. The Senate's already out. Don't ask me what the vacation is for. I mean, they're certainly not celebrating the Feast of the of, of the Tabernacle, which is this week. <laughs> you know, the Jewish holiday. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing. Um, but they're always out. You, you know, you look back to October of... 2009, you know, the first nine months or so of Democrat governance, they had Obama, Pelosi, and and Reid in charge of government. At this point, they passed all the bailouts, the stimulus, the cash for clunkers, the, remember, the mortgage handout to people to prevent mortgages from going underwater, the first round of financial regulations and credit card regulations, the equal pay bill, the S-chip, massive S-chip expansion, which, by the way, Republicans are going to ratify that, redo that now. Um, a massive expansion of unemployment benefits, tobacco regulations. And then, you know, these were things that actually passed bo- both houses and were signed into law. They laid the groundwork at this point for a number of big proposals, such as Dodd-Frank, cap-and-trade, and obviously Obamacare, which they passed in the ensuing six to 12 months after, you know, late 2009. So... And I'm I'm leaving out a lot, and certainly all the budget bills were all their priorities, and then I didn't even get to the executive branch, where every last thing Obama did was to promote their agenda on fiscal, social, national security issues, everything the left wing wanted, 
every personnel, every assistant secretary, every head of every agency of every office in every department of the executive branch was a left-wing kook. Not one conservative was left. Not one Bush-style Republican was left. That's what Democrat governance looks like. Here, what have they accomplished and now they're going out of town? Out of town. There is so much to do that we could do good on health care, on education from a conservative perspective, on guns from a conservative perspective, on immigration, national security, foreign policy. Nothing, nothing. It's, it's disgusting. You know, speaking of Dodd-Frank, that was one of the good things. The House passed the partial repeal of the CFPB, not even a full repeal of the CFPB, much as a full repeal of Dodd-Frank, but okay, fine, partial repeal, going nowhere in the Senate. Where, where's the Trump administration pushing for it? And by the way, that would do a lot more to stimulate the economy than any tax package. Not that I'm against tax cuts, but, but anyway, and by the way, the Bush tax cuts, which were actually definitive and you know made sense, were signed into law in June. Now we're, you know, June of his first year, 2001. Now we're in October, and they can't even articulate on paper what exactly is their plan. But I digress. Anyway, so in many respects, it's not just that, oh, Republicans, look at the contrast, the breathtaking contrast. Look at what the Democrats accomplished. Look at what the Republicans didn't accomplish. The truth is the Republicans are accomplishing a lot. They're pushing jailbreak. They're pushing amnesty. You know, Tom Tillis, that punk from North Carolina is out there trying to push amnesty. Um, They're out there, obviously, the debt ceiling, the two budgets, one bailout after another, Puerto Rico bailout. Now they're push, working on another Puerto Rico bailout. Uh, the, the, they're working, the House is passing a $36.5 billion supplemental after they had a previous $15 billion supplemental. And, and again, don't, don't throw this disaster aid at me because that a couple things on that. First of all, there, there's no accountability here if all of this is really needed and needed up front. But, you know, we're going to have a couple more installments of this. There's no structural reforms to the flood insurance program to ensure that we don't keep doing this. And, and again, the federal government, there's a role to play. But A, we should have money set aside. We shouldn't be spending it on all this other stuff. Well, Daniel, we need more. What do you want? We have disasters. That's why you have a budget. You know, I, I don't know anyone who runs a family as like, man... I need to go in debt more because I got a, you know, a leaky roof, you know, that we got problems with the plumbing. Those are usually the big things, plumbing, roof, you know, HVAC that, you know, you have to budget for that at some point they're going to go. Same thing when you have a country, you're going to have issues with, with hurricanes. So therefore, you know, um, last couple of years, I've finally been able to make a normal amount of money that, uh, you know, cause I've been fighting for conservatism my whole life. There's no money to be made and my wife doesn't have to work. Thank God. I'm putting it all away. I'm not spending anything. I, I, I'm not living differently than I've lived before. Um, you know, since, pretty much since my wife and I got married. I could spend more if I want, but part of why I don't is because you're going to need that. It's not if, it's, it's when. When stuff happens, you, you, you're going to have to dip into savings. But of course, we don't, you know, we don't do that. So more, more, more. So the funny thing is... <clears throat> All they've done is codify everything the Democrats want. They're working on the insurance bailout. That's going to be more money. They're working on the S-chip reauthorization with expanded funding. That's more money. More, more, more. 
They promised to cut. And it's funny. They, they Again, it's not just that they ignore the budget. Oh, they address it. They address it from the other side and do it more than the Democrats could do. Because the Democrats, look, if they were in charge, at least you'd have blowback. Here, Republicans are the perfect false flag operation to give off the veneer that they're fighting against it so people don't think that their stuff is being enacted. But in fact, it's being enacted, except the Democrats don't get the blame for it. So it goes through even more smoothly. I've said this before that, you know, we, we got more on budget and debt ceiling when Obama was president. So I'm going to link to this in show notes, but I have a whole article out on the fact that we've spent $130 billion more. $130 billion more this year, fiscal year 2017, with Republicans in charge for most of the year. Now, they, they, the truth is they were in charge of the House and Senate for many years before that. But, you know, here they had all three branches. And $130 billion more in spending. How about that, folks? How about it? And, and again, you know, so, so the... Um, the deficit increased by $82 billion because the revenue is up, by the way. You know, so don't let anyone tell you this is a revenue problem. Um, you know, the government took in, what was it? Another $47 billion more than last year, a total of $3.3 trillion. So it's record high revenue. We've never taken in that much as a percentage of GDP, even it's pretty, pretty solid. Um, so it's, that's not the problem. $130 billion more in spending. And, and where did that come from? Defense spending? No, that increased by 1%. Single biggest increase was from the Department of Education increasing the rate of student loans because we're doing to education, the education bubble, exactly what we're doing to healthcare, in which you distort the market, cut the consumer out so there's an endless pipeline from the government, inflates the edu higher education cartel, much like we inflate the insurance cartel which engenders a further need for subsidization and so on and so forth. Debt, subsidize, distort the market. Inflate the price, subsidize, more debt, repeat and rinse. 45% increase from last year, another $35 billion. HUD, we increased by $31 billion. Um, healthcare programs, obviously, between Medicare, Medicaid, and Obamacare, $35 billion more relative to fiscal year 2016. Um, there you go. And then interest on the debt obviously rose another $28 billion relative to last year because that's going to be the fastest growing component of the budget because the more debt you have, the more interest on, on the debt you're going to have to pay. And nobody cares. No, nobody's speaking towards this. And, and again, it's not just that we're not addressing it. They're literally talking about, like, backhandedly. Very few people are even voting against it. Jim Jordan, you know, said he's voting against it. $36.5 billion in a blank check, just su supplemental, after we just had a supplemental. Oh, but let's do tax reform and look like a fool blowing a hole in the budget. Again, not that I look, you know, I don't mind giving people back their money. I don't care. You know, if we're going to blow a hole in the budget for stupid programs, then fine. I'm just saying it makes them look stupid when they increase the deficit, increase spending. They're like, well, let's give a tax cut. Really kind of undermines our argument. But you tell me there's a dime's worth of difference between the parties. Tell me. Because I don't see it. I just don't see it. it, it, it th this whole thing is so sad. 
It is so sad that we're all cut up in this garbage. Ooh, look what Trump said on Twitter. Oh, it's great. He he had a really hot take meme against CNN. You know, today he's out there saying he will, you know we should revoke licenses of the media. I mean, really, folks. I hate the media like the next person, but should we be going after the Bill of Rights? I know, I know. What aboutism? What about when Obama went after the media? So therefore, it makes it okay. You know, basically, the Democrats have gone after every one of the Bill of Rights. So I guess it's okay now to have a Republican president do it because that's who we are. That's what we become. But I love those hot takes I see from people messaging me. Well, Daniel, Obama did it too. So this is all we're left with. We're left with the bluster. So let me let me clean up a couple more things just to, to tie up the loose ends into this thesis of how the party is really the same. Um, even the few good things Trump's saying or doing are not enduring. Some of it's his fault. Some of it's his personnel fault, which is his fault. And then it's just because the rest of the party's horrible, even on the few issues he's good on. So we get nothing for it. And the few issues he is good on, the courts are going to throw out because no one wants to do anything about the courts. And we're left with no difference between the parties. Okay, so I know I've been getting a lot of messages and you know social media emails from you guys asking me what I think on different issues. There's a lot swirling around. I'm just going to try to lightning round, go through some stuff, and just to demonstrate part of our broader thesis today, how there's no difference between the two parties, whether it's Congress, whether it's the Trump administration, and then maybe tie up some loose ends, and hopefully we'll get to more of it next week. Um Iran, Iran deal. So isn't it good? Doesn't it look like Trump is about to decertify the Iran deal? Well, yeah, that that's better than nothing. Um, here's the problem. Decertifying doesn't mean pulling out of it. This is just another one of these things that Trump needs to check off his list because he got too far out on a limb and he feels, you know, it's gotten personal with him. So he has to show, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill it. But it all explains personnel, it all gets back to personnel. There's nobody in the administration who agrees with that because the, he hired a bunch of crap, starting with Jim Kelly and Mattis and Tillerson, all these guys. So, you know, and I know he, now he finally doesn't like Tillerson. Well, whoop de doo But he loves Mattis and Kelly. And uh, these people are not going to do the right thing. It's going to be kind of like the DACA business where, yeah, well, another six months, maybe do this, and then... They're never really going to do what it takes. That's number one. Number two, there's a whole other part of the Iran deal, aside from sanctions or relief. And that is what we're doing in the Middle East, what you guys know, that we're doing this stupid thing of fighting ISIS, which is dead anyway, on behalf of Iran and giving them ground, giving them territory in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, Um this is a huge problem, the administration's policy on that. They are downright pro-Hezbollah. I'm going to hopefully have a lot more on that next week. Don't have time for it. But that's that's a big part of it. And guess what? Talk about personnel. There's a man named Chris Ford. He was the chief counsel for Bob Corker, who devised the legal justification for the Iran deal. He, this week, has been listed, the State Department put out a bunch of nominations. He's been listed as the nominee for Assistant Secretary of State for proliferation. Talk about the fox guarding the hen house, folks. Talk about the fake WWE fight. Oh, Trump versus Corker. 
Yeah, and now you're hiring his top dog, who's pro Iran deal uh, for you know to head pro- proliferation at the State Department. So again, I mean, this is another example of this garbage. By the way, another another staff issue, another staff issue. Oh, and 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 you should know during the transition, just back to Chris Ford, it, it was people like that who got on the transition team, and from what I'm hearing, blocked the re- revelation of the jcpoa annexes um because that was really the only time to obtain those documents what were the side agreements we still don't know them um and the trump administration doesn't seem to care about finding them out uh so there 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 you go we have chris ford there then we have kirsten nielsen who's been appointed as the or nominated to be the next dhs secretary that was another Kelly pick. This is a fool who has no experience or knowledge in immigration. She's best buddies with McCall. She really admires him. Disaster waiting to happen. Horrible, horrible. She's horrible on the Muslim Brotherhood too, which is obviously a big issue for DHS. So there you go. Every place where it matters, where it matters, there is no difference. The people that are supposed to be leading the Trump administration on their respective issues are part of the problem. They are the enemy. This is the equivalent of having Dennis Hastert as speaker and Bill Frist as majority leader. And now Paul Ryan as speaker. Although I don't think he's got the gay stuff, but he's definitely for, you know, ENDA and those, you know, the transgender legislation there. But I digress here. Um, But all, but, but yeah, Trump went out on Twitter, really stuck it to CNN today. I'm just telling you, there's no, there's not a dime's worth of difference between these people. Not a dime's worth of difference. So um, it's it's tough. I mean, on issue after issue, we're just we're getting we're getting crushed. Jailbreak, amnesty, gun control, and, and meanwhile, isn't it funny? No one's even talking about defunding Planned Parenthood. I mean, that's the most simple thing you could do. Just don't fund a private entity under criminal investigation for uh, harvesting baby organs. I mean, is it it that hard? We're not talking about some major dependency program here. But it's not even a point of contention anymore, much less, you know, under discussion for being placed in the December uh, budget bill. I'm sad to report all this bad news, but I'm just not seeing any good news here. We have a false operation here. Until we cut ourselves loose from this party, nothing is going to change, I'm sad to say. So um, so that's the thing there. Don't, don't, don't be fooled by the news you're going to hear. You know, the Iran deal is a major, major issue. And by the way, in the remaining time, I'm just thinking, I want to read to you, trying to find it here, Caroline Glick. Wrote a, wrote a tremendous article last week, really laying this out. Um, I'm just trying to see, you know, some some good good paragraphs to to bring out here. And do 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 do. So she goes through the fact that Trump plans on get you know decertifying, which just means that they're okay. They're not in compliance. Um. <clears throat> 
Back to Iran, as bad as North Korea is, this is Caroline speaking, at least it's a Chinese client state. If Trump can make China an offer, can't refuse, he can achieve the U.S.'s strategic goals without a devastating war. Iran, on the other hand, is no, no one's client. Iran has its own client states. And just as the Trump administration is unable to extricate itself from Obama's legacy of delusion and failure with respect to Iran's nuclear weapons program in North Korea, so it cannot and will not shift away from Obama's delusional policies toward Iran's client states. Consider Syria. In Syria, the Trump administration has maintained Obama's policy of pretending that the most dangerous actor and gravest threat to the U.S. and its interest in Syria is the Islamic State. Although under pressure by Israel, the administration has begun to talk about the threat of Iran, Iranian expansionism in Syria, it has no policy of blocking Iran's empowerment. The same is the case with relation to Russia's rise as a regional power broker at the U.S.'s expense through its deployment in Syria. As bad as the U.S.'s Syria policy is, its Lebanon policy is even worse. And I wrote about this even before Caroline, but I'm glad she's covering it. In Syria, the U.S. is simply pretending its enemies do not exist, or if they exist, that they do not threaten the U.S., in Lebanon, the U.S. is collaborating with its enemies. In June, this was you talking about uh, Lieberman. It's um, he's the Knesset's Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee guy. Today, the Lebanese army is a subsidiary unit of Hezbollah, and the Lebanese president Michael Ayon is another Hezbollah chief Nasser Nasrallah operative. Lieberman's assertions were not a theory; they were grounded in statements made by Ayon himself and by Lebanese military commanders. But the Americans will not listen to what the Lebanese say or see what they are doing. Instead, they remain devoted to their fantasy that the Lebanese government is independent and that the Lebanese armed forces is not a subsidiary of Hezbollah. In support of this lie, this year the U.S. pledged and delivered the bulk of $100 million worth of sophisticated weapons. She goes through all the weapons she gave and um, you know, it's been called uh, Hezbollah's shopping list. Um, and the U.S. is not only arming Hezbollah through its surrogate. In August, U.S. special forces fought alongside the Lebanese armed forces to wrest control of the Lebanese border with Syria from the Islamic State-associated Sunni militia. Um, the operation was commanded by Hezbollah. Quoting a source close to Hezbollah in the LAF, Al-Monitor's Nur Samaha wrote, U.S. CENTCOM called the Lebanese army chief and asked him to deny any cooperation with Hezbollah, telling him that while they're aware of cooperation, it has to be denied publicly. In other words, it isn't that the Pentagon isn't aware it is empowering Hezbollah. It knows what it's doing. It just doesn't want the American public to know what it's doing. Now, I want to bring you to one other point here that she's going to mention um, that nobody is going to talk about because everyone's talking about, oh, what a change Trump has been on Israel. Yeah, he'll go to Twitter and say Israel's a friend. But the reality is, you know, uh, one other thing I see in the news is funny and part of our thesis today, not a dime's worth of difference between the party. Chuck Schumer's out there saying we need to move the embassy to Jerusalem, trolling Trump. Now, I know, I know, everyone's going to say, what do you mean Schumer didn't give a darn when Obama was president suddenly he finds religion? Of course not. Of course the guy's a puke, and of course he sees an opening to just score points. But the point is, why is there an opening? It's criminal to allow the Democrats to get to your right on anything, whether it's sincere or not. And Trump is a goddamn liar. I mean, I don't understand why nobody holds him accountable for this. I mean, he said in the most emphatic terms 
I will move that embassy. It was like, well, I want to give peace a chance first. What? So l- l- let me just read you uh, her closing words here. Um, <clears throat> this brings us finally to the Palestinians. On Tuesday, Jerusalem Affairs Minister Zev Elkin was the first senior minister to publicly criticize the Trump administration's policy toward Israel and the PLO. Elkin told an Israeli Hebrew language paper that despite the friendly tone of administration officials and the fruitful cooperation Israel enjoys with the administration on a host of other issues, on the issue of Jewish property rights in Judea and Samaria, which is really the fundamental issue there, they are walking on the same path as the Obama administration. The same course can be said the same, of course, can be said of the Trump administration's policy towards Fatah and the PLO. No matter how open PA President Mahmoud Abbas is about his cooperation with Hamas, and no matter how many hundreds of millions of dollars he transfers to the bank accounts of terrorists, the Trump administration continues to treat Abbas and the PA as moderates and peace partners. Even worse, the administration is coercing Israel to do the same. No matter where you look around the globe, in the Middle East, in Asia, in South America, and in Europe, you see the same thing. The Trump administration has changed America's tone in farm policy. But substantively, there has been little change. Wow. <clears throat> I, I, I mean, he's changed America's tone, but substantively, substantively, there's been little change. You know, Caroline is an American-Israeli journalist, but this is relevant to domestic policy as well. The tone has been radically changed. But look at what's actually happening, both from Trump, both from the Republican Congress. There is not a dime's worth of difference. Look, I support these primary challenges. I'll continue to work on them. But let's not kid ourselves. In the long run, this party is irreparable. It's, it's, it's Orwellian. It's not just a fake opposition. It's an enabling. It is they are the problem. We've met the problem, and it is us. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't get to delve as much into the whole criminal justice thing as I wanted to. We'll have to save that uh, for next week. But but just a shout out to um, M- Emily Collins, a cousin of that victim we were talking about, uh, and that we wrote about in California. That you know now have SB three ninety four, the bill to let out juvenile murderers after twenty five years. It's funny. Um, you know, when they reached out to me, it was it was her and um and then the sister of the of Eric. Uh, her name is Devin. I'm so sorry here. I'm just forgetting. Uh, I didn't didn't have show prep today. Didn't have my notes in front of me. Devin Lombardi, um, formerly obviously, um, you know, De- De- Devin, uh, Ingebreston. Eric Ingebreston was the 16-year-old boy from Calusa, California, murdered in 1997. Um, and, and they wanted me to raise awareness to what was going on in California. And, you know, we're a national platform, and I was looking for some national angle. Well, unfortunately, you know, Mike Lee and Chuck Grassley, and working with Kushner and Durbin, gave me that angle. They're trying to do what California is doing on a national level. And this is conservative. This is the Heritage Foundation. This is the Kochs. This is Freedom Works. This is... Republican money going into one of the most left-wing issues of our time, destroying one of the few successes we've had on one of the most fundamental issues, all by the way to, you know, defelonize and obviously give voting rights back to them so you could create a permanent Democrat majority. You could not pay the Republican Party. The Democrats could not pay the Republican Party to do 
what they do for the Democrats. Jeez, a sack of good news this week. Anyway, until next time, God bless y'all. This has been another episode of the Conservative Conscience.